today is Ezekiel 37. You want me to read the whole chapter? Do you want me to read any of it? Okay, so let's all open to Ezekiel 37 and ask the Lord, can these bones live? Um, let me pray for Pastor Paul and for us this morning. Dear Lord, we come to you with dry bones and you give us life. And uh, we just thank you so much for the life that you have given us and blessed us with. And we pray that you would continue to grow us and that you would use this morning to um, to speak to us, to grow us, to reveal more of yourself to us. I pray for Paul, Lord, that you would bless him with recall from his study of your word, that you would speak through him, Lord, that you would give him great passion for explaining your word to us and that our hearts would receive what you have for us today. So use your servant, Paul, Lord, and uh, spend him for your glory. And we thank you for all these things in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I was in Isaiah last week, and I was going to be in Isaiah this week, but last night, it just wasn't working. Sometimes that happens, you know, you you prepare and you think you've got something and so on, and uh, it doesn't work. So, last night, I was kind of frantically <laughs> thinking, okay, well, what? Should I preach on them? And uh, pretty quickly came to mind because I'd been I'd been thinking about this anyway. You try and think ahead uh, as to where you're going to go. And um, Ezekiel 37 came to mind, and um, I didn't have opportunity to give that to as an outline to Daryl. But uh, if you want an outline, you can write it down yourself. The first point is bones. The second point is sticks. And the third point is covenants make sense of it, of it all. Okay? Bones, sticks, and covenants make sense of it all. So that's the outline uh, of today's message. These, because of the character of, of what we're trying to do here, we're going to go, th- we're going through the whole of the Bible, and so, you know, some of these messages are going to be more educational. Uh, sometimes they are going to have a, a more of a devotional lilt to them, sometimes a more of a doctrinal lilt to them. Uh, a balance there so that as we go through, you're learning things, and you're putting things together, hopefully, that you didn't know before. Uh, and the, the storyline of the Bible is becoming more clear to you. But also, of course, there are things that are easily applied to your own life. This passage here, it's a famous passage, particularly the first half of the chapter about the dry bones. Uh, this passage, the way that I am going to present it will be I think more educational because I, I although there, there's great 
um, benefit from applying the, the dry bones scenario to us? I think it's very easy for us to spiritualize things using a passage like this. Uh, and rather than grasp exactly what God is doing here. So I, I don't want to kind of drift off into spiritual applications and bypass exactly what this passage means. Because remember, what we're doing is that we're following the oaths that God has taken. These oaths are in covenants, and the covenants are amplifications of God's speech that are given to our dull ears because we have a tendency not to believe what God's saying. Don't we? We have a tendency when God says something to uh, think, oh, well, it can't mean that, it must mean this. Or sometimes, you know, we've been in churches where they have a particular approach to Scripture uh, where everything is applied to the church. It doesn't matter if it's in the Old Testament or where it is. It's all applied to the church. And uh, we, when we do that, we bypass the words of God and the promises that God has made. And what is essential to understand about the covenants of God is that God wouldn't have entered into these things if they weren't important to him. And he wouldn't have made covenants and oaths to do these things and told them to us if he didn't want us to believe them and take him at his word. A challenge for biblical interpretation is us saying, well, I don't see how God's going to do that. For example... Israel has not had a king since the Babylonian captivity. That's a long time ago. Yes, that's a long time ago. Uh, it's actually going on for over 2,500 years. Well, surely that must mean that the promises, such as the ones we're going to read here in Ezekiel 37... They can't mean exactly what they say. They must have a spiritual dimension to them that we can apply, and that's what God means. The problem is with that is that you can't do that with covenants. You see, you can't spiritualize covenants. Now, we don't make covenants Nowadays, okay, covenants are solemn oaths that are taken to uh, do particular thing. We put ourselves under obligation to do that by taking that oath. And if we break that oath, then, you know, we are, we bring down condemnation on ourselves. The closest that we have is a marriage covenant, yes, where we take vows to each other to do certain things. We've got to take those things seriously. Well, if we take the example of a, of a marriage, you can't, you know, 20 years down the road, decide you're going to spiritualize your covenant oaths and switch out your marriage partner. Okay? The oaths that I took, I'll keep, but I'll just switch the marriage partner out. Okay? And just, I don't mean them to you anymore, I mean them to you now. 
We can't do that. That's an absurd idea. And yet, sometimes we do that with the word of God. Sometimes we say that God promised particular things to the nation of Israel, and we switch Israel out and put the church in there. Folks, you can't do that. God is not a bad communicator. And God is not a fumbling idiot either. Not knowing what he's going to do in a thousand years time or 2,000 years time. God knows the end from the beginning. And he is orchestrating all of history. Sometimes that doesn't seem to be the case, does it? Not in in uh, the world affairs and maybe not in your life. Sometimes it seems that everything's random. Well, certainly you have a free will and certainly uh, God is not micromanaging your life, but at the same time, you can be sure that God is involved in the circumstances of your life. And in every circumstance, every difficulty, every Good thing, every bad thing that happens to you, God, if you're a believer, is there. And how you respond to God in those situations, well, that's up to you. Do you see? God's not going to make you do the right thing. God's not going to make you trust. He's not going to make you humble yourself. He might humble you if he sees the need for it. He might chastise you if he sees a need for it. He might uh, bore you up and encourage you if he sees a need for it. But we are to live this life by faith. And what are we to have faith in, folks? What? In his word. We must trust God's word. And folks, you can't trust a word that can be reinterpreted, you know, in one place or a hundred years from now or applied in a different way, depending on circumstance. You can't have faith in that because what you're doing is you're having faith in that reinterpretation, do you see? Folks, the lesson is that God means what he says, and he especially means what he says when he makes covenants. With that in mind, you all know this story, I I presume, maybe it's wrong of me to, to do that, about the dry bones. Ezekiel is given a vision, and his vision is weird. A lot of the visions are weird, you know. This is a vision of a valley of dry bones. Look at verse 2. He caused me to pass by them all around, the valley of dry bones in verse 1, and behold, there were very many in an open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So Ezekiel, being smart, said, Oh Lord, you know. Okay, instead of kind of committing himself so God who who is involving the prophet in this 
gets the prophet to prophesy over the bones. Look at the words that they used in verse 4. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. You say, well, how can they hear? Because they're all dry and they're dead and they're dusty and, and so on. So what's the point? What's the point? Well, if it was just Ezekiel talking to them, there wouldn't be any point. Okay? But the word of God came through the prophet, which means the power of God comes through the prophet. And those bones obey the word of the Creator. The most powerful thing in creation is the word of the Lord. So verse 5 says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And that is precisely what happened in the ensuing verses. One thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. At one point, there are just a bunch of human bodies, as it were, with no breath in them. They're just standing eerily in that valley in front of, in, in front of Ezekiel, waiting for the life uh, the life breath of God to come into them and then God breathed upon them using the winds and breath came into them and they lived. Okay? That's impressive. You know, I mean, that's, uh, okay, that's an interesting vision. What does that mean? What's all that about? Well, the interpretation of that vision is that God intends to take the people of Israel, the elect of Israel, the nation of Israel, and he intends to take them out of their graves in a future day and put them in their land, and he will be their God and they will be his people. These words by Ezekiel were spoken as I said, two and a half thousand years ago, and they have not been fulfilled yet. 1948 is not a fulfillment of these, of this prophecy. But there will be a fulfillment of this prophecy. Let's have a look at uh, what God says here. If we go a bit further down, look at verse 13. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, not just breath. This is the important thing. They do get the breath of life, but I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it says the Lord. Now, the importance of the Spirit will be brought out a little further on in the chapter. But it is important to notice that. God is going to bring Israel back to their land and he's going to put his Spirit in them. But notice verse 14, will you? 
Then you will know, I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. So one of the things that I teach, some of you will know this, is that God's actions correspond to his words. Yes, some of you have heard me say that. God's actions correspond to his words. All right, God's words equal his actions. God's not going to say that he's going to do one thing and then do something different. That's what a lot of interpreters say. And that's a misinterpretation of the Bible, which comes from a misinterpretation of God. God, when he says, let us create man in our own image, what does he do? When he says to Naaman, go and baptize, not baptize yourself, wash yourself in the river Jordan seven times, what does he mean? Go and do it seven times. Six times isn't enough. Seven. God means what he says. When Jesus says to you and says to all sinners, come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest, it's up to you to come because that's where you're going to find rest because he means what he says. When you are beckoned to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all of your sins, to become a child of God, an heir of God. By trusting that Jesus died in your place. Folks, God means what he says. What's stopping you from coming? You don't have to change the interpretation. You don't have to tinker with the words. You don't have to think, what does he really mean by that? Just believe it. Just believe it. You say, well, that just doesn't seem to make sense. Stop trying to make sense of it and believe it. God didn't give us his word, folks, for us to go and say, well... With my great mind, I'm having problems here, trying to put this together, what exactly he might mean. Be like a child and believe it. Which is what Jesus told you to do. God has spoken it and he will perform it. That's the lesson. Now this, of course is them looking back. Then you will know. Then you will know. I tell you what, it's much better to know before it happens. And the way that you can know before it happens is, well, what? How? Tell me. Believe it! Believe it. Then you'll know, won't you? This is an important lesson, folks. It's such an important lesson. We struggle, I struggle, you struggle sometimes with the circumstances of life, with living in these uh, bodies of death, with the interactions that we have to go through, with the bills that we have to pay, with the pains in our bodies. You know the, the list. 
We struggle going through from moment to moment to moment to moment to rely, to trust. That's we must trust. We're supposed to live by faith. Okay? Then the circumstances change. Not what may be right in front of us, but we see it in a different way. We don't face it with fear and anxiety. We face it in the confidence that God is there with us. Things that look overwhelming to us become smaller to us, much smaller to us, because we know that God's not going to forsake us. I said this would be more educational, but I'm starting to make it a devotional, aren't I? Anyway. So the next thing that he's told is to perform an action. Now, the prophets were often told to perform certain duties. Some of them were very strange, okay? The first part of Ezekiel 37 is a vision. The second part of Ezekiel 37 is an illustration that Ezekiel is to perform. He's to take two sticks, he's to write on them the names of the the tribes of the children of Israel. Because at this time, as we know, the children of Israel were kind of broken in two. Ten tribes of the northern uh, section, and they, by Ezekiel's day, had gone into Assyrian captivity a hundred years before. But he was to write those names on one stick and then Judah and obviously Benjamin on the second stick. And then uh, he was to do that in front of the elders, in front of the people of Israel. And of course, as he was doing that, they would ask him, Ezekiel, what are you doing? And then he was to say that God would one day bring both uh, sets of people, this broken, fragmented Israel, together again and bring them into their own land and he would reign over them. And then a miracle would happen. Then these sticks will be fused together before their eyes as a promise now that's what Ezekiel says and Ezekiel is certainly not the only one we've already looked at what Micah has said and Hosea has said and Amos has said and Isaiah has said and we're going to look at what Jeremiah says and we're going to See, over and over again, these promises of God reiterated down through the centuries. God could only say it once, but he decided to say it many times so that people would believe him and trust in him and find hope and encouragement in him. And despite this, it is uh, sad and It is shameful, quite honestly, that many people in the Christian church have spiritualized these passages and said they don't apply to future Israel. 
God's done with Israel. And we'll just apply them to the church. That's no way to interpret the word of God. That's, as I've said before, and please hear me here, that is to replace God's words with your words and believe your words. You can't do that with the word of God and be faithful to it. You say, well, I don't understand. I mean, Israel hasn't been in its land for 2,000 years after, you know, 70 AD and so on. How could this happen? Because God is not stuck on your timetable. That's why. And he's not dealing with things that, you know, to you might be insurmountable problems. To him, they're not insurmountable. They're, They're nothing. He speaks to bones and they live. Can you do that? Well, then, if you can't do things like that, what are you doing trying to reinterpret the word of God and say, well, well, he must mean this because obviously I can't figure it out if it means what it says. Just believe it means what it says, will you? Just give God the glory of sorting his problems out himself. How about that one? According to the Bible, you're all sons, daughters of God. You're all heirs of God. You're all, the Spirit of God resides in all of you if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. You are all incorporated into Christ if Christ is your Savior. Can you figure that one out? No. Do you believe it? Of course you do. Do you believe that God is a trinity? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the three are one. The one and the many problem, all sorted out in God. Can you figure it out? No, you can't. There isn't any other trinity that is an analogy to God, okay? You can't do that. But do you believe it? Yes, you believe it. Well, believe this prophecy too. Believe all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that God means what he says. Then you can be absolutely secure that because God means what he says in the Old Testament, that anything that is written to you in the New Testament, God also means. And you don't have to spiritualize it. You might not understand all of it. I certainly don't. But I'm not called to understand all of it. I can leave that up to God. But I am called to believe it. That's my job. That's my duty as a creature. The sticks come together in his hand. And the interpretation is in verse 21. Thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations. See, they've been scattered wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. Folks, whether you like it or not, according to God, that land over there is Israel's land, okay? Their own land. 
And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again, which had been the case for hundreds of years before this prophecy of Ezekiel. But something else. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people and I will be their God. You see, the Spirit is going to enter into these Israelites. They are going to be born again. That's what's key. It's not that God's just going to revivify the people of Israel and put them in the land and that's it. No, they're going to be uh, forgiven of their sins and cleansed from their sins. And I don't know if you've read the newspapers recently, but that's not what's going on in Israel right now. Hasn't happened But the challenge to us is to believe that it will happen. Do you see? Live by faith, not by sight. Faith drives the understanding. The understanding doesn't drive faith. Like, I'll believe it if there's enough, you know, if I can figure it out, if there's enough evidence. That doesn't glorify God at all. No, you believe it because God said it. You believe it because... You know who God is. So, in the last part of Ezekiel 37, he kind of brings it home. He brings the interpretation all together in more specific language. Verse 24. I'll read down to verse 28. See how many covenants you can pick out here. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, there, uh, sorry, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Remember in in, uh, Micah and in Isaiah, remember that the nations will want to come up to Jerusalem, to the mountain of God, to the house of God. Well, here's the house of God again. And the nations are taking notice and they're coming to the house of God. See, the Bible fits together, doesn't it? All you have to do is believe it. Okay, so how many covenants did you count here? I mean, this is not fair because 
I've been, I've been studying this stuff for years, but three, that's very good. Can you name them? That's very good. Abrahamic, Mosaic, and the priestly. Now, remember that the Mosaic covenant, okay, is to be replaced by what? The new covenant. Remember, we've just taken communion. This is the new covenant in my blood. I'm really glad it's not, this is the Mosaic covenant in my blood, because otherwise we'd be offering sacrifices and we wouldn't have eternal security. Okay, we'd have to keep the law all the time. We don't have to keep the law because we're under the new covenant. Which one? The Davidic covenant is there. That's right. Is there another one? How about the priestly covenant? Remember that covenant in Numbers 25 that everybody forgets about? We did cover it. I know it was a while back, but we looked at the forgotten covenant. We looked at this covenant with Phineas. Okay? When the Midianite woman was brought into the camp and Phineas went through with the javelin and he wasn't gaming for Olympics place, he was, he knew what to do with that thing. He was speared the two transgressors together and God made a covenant of peace with uh, Phineas and his descendants, the Zadokites. The priestly covenant. Well, there's a sanctuary there. There needs to be priests there, don't there? Yes. So there are at least four covenants there. What do covenants do? Covenants is God's on the microphone telling you, this is what I'm going to do. Are you listening? And here's the church through the last two centuries, well, most of it. Many good and godly men. Don't, I'm not talking about how they are with Christ and their walk with Christ. But as far as their interpretation is concerned, they say, no, I'm not listening. I'm going to reinterpret it. That's not what we want to do here. Okay? What we want to do is we want to say, oh, there's a covenant, there's a covenant, there's a covenant. Now I understand why God is going to bring the tribes of Israel together. You say, well, they're lost, they're lost, and we don't know where they are. No, I don't know where they are, but guess who does? God, his problem, not mine. No, but what about the Palestinian problem? His problem, not mine, okay? Well, what about the United Nations? That's his problem, not my problem. What about Israel's unbelief? It's already sorted out here. He's going to give them his spirit. But the kingdom of God is going to be a kingdom that is ruled over by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There's going to be a sanctuary in it. There's going to be peace in it. Israel... The nation are going to be multiplied and blessed within it, and they're going to be saved. And how do we know this? Because God has spoken it, and he will perform it. Driving this home, then finally, to ourselves. 
this is a simple enough message. It's not simple if if we're trying to study the Old Testament and get all of the details together. You can see, you know, there's a a big book that I wrote over there. It took me nearly 15 years to write it, okay, that puts this stuff together. And even that I had to omit some of the materials. But it's not down to us to get all of it and and try to figure it all out, okay? I I do the best that I could uh, in there, but it's still not, not complete. What it comes down to is not whether you spend 15 years of your life trying to put these different things together, one passage with another passage and another passage, and this author you know, 500 years before that author and so on, and try and do that, what matters is simply verse 14. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will perform it. You can take that home, can't you? Yes, you can. And you can apply it to yourself. So that Whatever difficulties or whatever trials or whatever, you know, decisions that you have to make, whether you don't, you wonder whether you're going to go this way or that way, and you know there's not going to be a divine sign in the heavens, you know, pointing one way for you rather than the other way, a big X in the other direction. That's not going to happen for you. But what is going to happen is that you can go forward, give it to the Lord, and move forward on the best of your knowledge. And guess what? Even if you're going in the wrong direction, God will be with your steps. Because he's faithful. And he said that he will do that. Therefore, just believe him. Just believe him. He loves you. And furthermore, as the words that uh, that Steve read out for us in communion demonstrate we're in covenant with him. This is the blood of the new covenant. And we just took its symbol. Well, God's going to be good for his covenants, I think. He can be trusted. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that Not only will we understand these promises to the people of Israel, and then, of course, not just the people of Israel are affected. The whole world will be affected when Israel is brought into their land believing and has a king over them again. But this passage, as so many other passages, tells us, Lord, that you have vowed to do great things. And even though, Lord, for us, (laughs) who only live a few short years in this world, it seems as though these are never coming to pass. We know, Lord, that for you, a thousand years is a a day, and a day is a, a thousand years. It's nothing. What really matters is that you're going to do it. You're going to perform your words, which means you're going to perform your words to us too. 
we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Our guilt has been taken away. Whatever sins and transgressions and whatever things that we're ashamed of, Lord, are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and the new covenant. And we are surrounded by grace. So let us go forward today rejoicing in that, rejoicing that our God not only means what he says, but he's so good, so loving, so gracious that he will never give us what we deserve, only what he has promised he will give us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're not going to close with a song this morning. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. So I'll close with this reading from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, who through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.